0: hey everybody welcome back to episode 13 of the asking for a parent podcast and it's me dr coleman doctor here again and it's a pleasure to get another opportunity to meet and chat with you we're episode 13 of our 16 part series so we're nearing the end and we'll just have finished up just in time for christmas and i hope everyone's christmas preparations are going well and that you know the stress levels aren't too high but Given that this year will be a little bit different, uh, I hope that people's preparations, just because something is unfamiliar doesn't mean it has to be less. And uh, I look forward to hearing all of your stories about how Christmas has gone when we meet again in January for season two. But just in in ahead of today's episode, I just wanted to say to people, thank you very much for getting in touch. One lady in particular got in touch this week where she mentioned that the pandemic had been pretty difficult for her. She had lost her job. Uh, and she was under considerable stress but one of the and to use her words not mine one of the positives of the pandemic has been this podcast and you know she said that from listening to the guests and the conversations that we've been having on here that her relationship with her 11 year old boy has never been better Uh, and that's just wonderful to hear it's lovely to hear that the insights and tips that we're offering on this series is being being used uh, and, and actually making a difference in people's lives so yeah, thank you for getting in touch with that, and uh, thank you all for listening and sharing and downloading. As I say, if you have any questions, whether it be about Christmas or anything else, you can get in touch with us on askingforparent@gmail.com or through the Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook pages. Without further ado, I'll let you listen to this week's episode. Anyway, on to today. It gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest this week for the Asking for a Parent podcast. My first interaction with this lady was when she interviewed me on Today FM's Last Word, but since then. She's moved on to host her own show on News Talk on Weekend Breakfast and has recently written a book called With Hope in My Heart, which is a memoir for Martina Cox, the wife of Sean Cox, who was tragically injured at the Liverpool football match. She's also a recent well-deserved Imro Award winner and it's a real privilege to welcome her to the Asking for a Parent podcast. It's the wonderful Susan Kyo. Good morning, Susan.
1: Morning, Coleman. Thank you for having me. (laughs) how
0: are you how are you surviving this these strange times
1: yeah uh surviving um yeah i mean it's tough for everyone i think i really do feel everyone has suffered in their own you know way whatever it is obviously some people have suffered hugely i'm still working so i'm very thankful for that and just trying to control the controllables is kind of what i do so take little really small things that can't be taken away even if we get to level 26 and focus on them so whether it's just making sure i get kind of my ten thousand steps in a day make sure i'm out with the dog you know pick a couple of good books to read have a bath like i'm just kind of picking really small things that you know like that just can't be taken away no matter what happens and that gives me some focus and i think that's all we can do really at the minute you know
0: Absolutely. And a busy time for you with the, the book. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Yeah, the book is out. So Martina Cox is just a tremendous woman who was on my radar ever since her husband was attacked viciously um outside Anfield Stadium back in April uh, 2018. So he was very badly injured. He has a profound brain injury and Martina just has been by his side ever since. But I guess um, the value in the story for me was just the dedication and the commitment that she had to him to make sure that she did whatever she could do to try and get him like the best help that she could get him and it wasn't available in Ireland so she went further afield for that and then you know she was determined from the get-go to get him home even though you know there is kind of a tendency with profound brain injury in Ireland that often a lot of people would prematurely end up in a nursing home but she was determined to get him back he's a young man in his early 50s so she fought and she fought and she fought and in the end she won, and Sean came home just before uh, the first lockdown back in March. He got home back to his family home, uh, considering he left two and a half years before that, you know, and never came home. He was in hospital for two and a half years. So she's just always really impressed me for lots of reasons. She's really strong. She's hugely resilient, brilliant mother, brilliant wife. So um, during lockdown, we wrote her memoir. And I think, I actually think it's going to appeal to an awful lot of people, particularly now coming out of coronavirus, because I think. Some of the lessons that she learned on her journey are really applicable now to where people are at. So the story is really basically one of when the rug gets pulled from underneath your life with no notice at all and how then you find it in yourself to manage. So a lot of the stories that she has about trying to find that inner strength, strength that none of us think we ever have, that resilience how to keep going when you feel you want to throw in the towel. I just think that's really valuable for all of us, particularly now. And I guess it's a story of kind of, despite all the heartbreak, if you can hold on to a little bit of hope that you do get there in the end. So I just think it's valuable for probably everybody, given what's happened in 2020.
0: Absolutely. It's a fantastic example of resilience and strength and grit. And just never giving up. I think it's probably uh, I'm looking forward to reading it and can't wait to, to get my hands so that's with hope in your heart. And yeah. Martina Cox memoir. Brilliant. Uh, in terms of thinking about resilience and strength and grit and all these things. Over the last while, our task of parenting has become a, a skill of endurance, I think, for many people. And again, we, we've gone through periods of homeschooling and, you know, childcare gone and a lot of our holidays gone and all that sort of stuff. So we've had to kind of throw out the, the the toolkit in terms of what we had learned so far. And what I'd ask most guests is just, the first thing is just to introduce us to your family, who's at home for you, and tell us a little bit about your own template or value system going from your own, the only experience we have of parenting is being parented ourselves, and maybe how that has influenced your family now.
1: Yeah, well, I guess I'm at home with my husband, Stephen, and my daughter, Faith, who just turned nine recently. And at home then... When I was younger, I have an older sister who's two years older than me and then we're one of those kind of strange families where there was just the two of us girls for 12 years and then my parents had a little boy so when he came along we were like mini moms and like, you know, I remember, like there was a big fight over whose room like he could sleep in and you know, because we we both really wanted him. So they did a deal with us where my sister who was 14 or 15 at the time, she got the job of being godmother, but I got the prize of having him sleep in my room. I can't even remember how long that lasted for because I'm sure he cried and I was like, get him out of the bedroom. But you know, we were very much like it, it was kind of an unusual probably uh, set up that we were quite grown up. Like I really remember the day he was born and everything. Whereas usually people with siblings, you know, if you're two or three, when a sibling comes along, you don't actually have a memory of that. But we we certainly did. But you know, I had a very kind of normal, very happy childhood in the 80s. And I suppose like the parenting kind of templates that we would have had would have been one where, you know, we we were probably generally quite good so there wasn't a whole lot of like active parenting to have to do. And in some ways, I think like, you know, it was all very nuanced. There was just things that we knew we couldn't do like and red lines that we just couldn't cross. And I we didn't really cross them. So like I don't really have it. Like there was never any major rows or, you know, anyone in major trouble. I don't think we really pushed it that much. Now, we probably did then when we got to, teenage years but again the parenting was all based very much on a quiet anger or a disappointment more than an anger so like i've no memories of anyone ever like roaring at me or like you know being grounded or whatever but i've certainly memories of like getting a very disappointed kind of look where i would know then that i had let them down and like that was almost enough then for you to know not to do it again so i don't know how you describe that but it was very I don't know, very sort of organic or something like it just was the way it was like we you know, there was no real rules and regulations. We just knew like there was certain values in the house that we had to abide by. And you just didn't stray too far out of that, really. And like that, if you did, it was the disappointment of letting them down was probably enough for you not to do it again. You know,
0: there's, a, there's a, something wonderfully Irish about that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, <clears throat> the power of guilt a little bit. but. Uh, So was that an urban or rural childhood?
1: So we lived in Kildare Town, so urban, and, you know, and we lived in an estate and uh, my grandmother lived with us actually when we were younger. She lived with us all her life until she died. Like she always lived with my parents because she was widowed when she was very young. So in some ways, I guess, like she would have probably been stricter than my parents. And I don't know whether my parents would have like maybe eased up a little bit because you know because they you know so if we were asking could we go out somewhere or whatever she would probably as a much older woman would have been like i don't think they should go there but my mom always i think didn't want her to rule the roost that way like it was important that she wasn't calling all the shots just because she might have been coming from a different place so i think my mom used to have to kind of explain to her a lot you know this is what like they're able to go there you know they can go there from 16 or whatever it was so maybe that, maybe if my granny didn't live it was possibly my parents would have been slightly stricter, but I felt like they had to balance all of that out because she would would have been quite strict.
0: Excellent. And, and from the point of view of, what are the bits of that experience that you've taken into your own uh, role as parent for the last nine years?
1: Like, I try to follow that in the sense that, like, my instinct is to always not be laying down the law or having loads of rules. And I've definitely kind of just... You know, I, I firmly believe that the minute you you like uh, forbid something, that it is all a child wants. So like, you know, even in the very early stages when there would have been people, you know, saying to me, oh, like, you know, never let a two year old see a television screen or, you know, like all of those kind of things that you get told. Like I very much just had an approach where you know if there was never a suite to be seen in this house surely by the time she'd get to five or six like sweets would have become like an obsession for her because it's almost like that contraband that like someone just wants to get their yeah. hand on and similarly like if we had no tv in the house or whatever if she went into someone else's house she probably wouldn't be able to talk to them because she'd be looking at this tv in the corner so i kind of very much i was never like really really strict i just had i tried to just use that approach of being like yes things in small doses like so if she likes a cartoon she can watch a cartoon and then the telly goes off and like just try and keep it you know like and I think that came from my parents so you know that there wasn't a list of rules and regulations or in this house you don't do this and in this house you don't do that like I did just try and kind of find an organic way of parenting if that's the right expression for it but just something that feels natural to everybody and then like I've continued to do that and now I suppose my fear now would be like is that enough like is the world a different place now to what it was like in the 80s so do I have to maybe have more boundaries and stuff because at the minute we're kind of just like, we just fly by the seat of our pants and like, we don't really have any problems. And you know, Faith is very good kind of eight-year-old or nine-year-old now. But I guess I'm always conscious that that might change at some point. And then I might actually have to actively parent you know, in a way that I probably don't have to now. Like I don't feel like that I actively parent every day. Like she kind of just, we go along and we do our bits and pieces. And there are times I have to pick her up on things. You know, like if I notice that she doesn't do something or does do something but you know it's not very often really like you know and I suppose I'm unique in the sense that she's here on her own so I'm not trying to manage four children who might not be sharing who might be pulling the heads off each other like obviously you actively parent in those situations in a different way but when you've one child like there are challenges to have one child but I guess one of the things is that they kind of become they do become like another kind of mini adult in the house so like know if faith came in here and uh upended a a pot of paint on the floor like we would like i mean we'd nearly call an ambulance like it would be so you know what i mean it would be like it would just be so unusual for her to do something you know whereas i'm sure there's houses where you'd go in and there could be paint on the wall and someone will say yeah the five-year-old did that and no one blinks an eyelid but she's probably like a mini a a mini adult in a way so like she doesn't really act out like in in that manner now we've other kind of things with her but but i i just feel like i I let her Kind of find her own way, and then I step in if I need to. Whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know.
0: I, th- I think I think you're on the ball there. I mean, I think if there is something about your parents' approach to that, though. That mm. You were talking; the first thing I was thinking: this these don't sound like parents who are kind of awash with parenting advice and seeking a kind of you know customary what's best practice around this. They were letting things evolve, and 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 yourself, your sister, and your little brother seem to to manage that organically very well. And I do think the, I think the circumstances around parenting are different now, like in terms of the world in which our children inhabit are different. And the expectation on parents is different. And I think that's a really important thing to say, you know, the idea that we would have a kind of, you know, I think the avocado police have have a lot to to do with this, you know, where we've overcomplicated it a little bit. And I think parenting does get back to stripping it back to the fundamentals of approachability, being there for somebody and, allowing the child to grow within a value system that hopefully is interpreted like rules in some respects that they, they they buy into the values as opposed to comply with the rules in that way. So uh, in in that way, the question when you said you've only one child, do you get that kind of customary head tilt of, Oh, you've only one, or is that something you've ever experienced or?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I like, I would be quite sensitive to it, I guess, because You know, and and maybe I'm a little bit hard on her at times because like I would the things I do hammer home are like that, you know, uh, kind of if somebody comes into the house like i'd always watch to make sure that she's not been too territorial over everything like i'd be conscious that she doesn't always have to share her things like if she gets something there's not like three pairs of hands going into it like it is hers on, on her own so i guess I, I i'm kind of a step ahead of her in those things i'm you know i would always be just making sure that she's kind of uh, following those rules but i i just feel really strongly that there's a real myth out there that uh, children who grew up in, in a household where they were the only child, you know, that they're spoiled and that they're, you know, like really needy and they're, you know, all of those, there's, there's definitely a stereotype. And I would probably feel that I I actively try and make sure that's not the case. And I just probably think her nature wouldn't be that way. So it's probably not a problem, but it'll be something that I will always look out for. And I guess like one of the things I do with her is I would very much encourage her friendships. So, you know, I know for children who don't have siblings, like your friends become even more important than they are for people with siblings. So lifelong friends like people who she'll have in her life when she's 20 and 30 and 40. So I would if there is something that I'm probably a little bit neurotic about, like I would kind of uh, if uh, you know if I have examples with my good friends I would try and illustrate that to her if I'm doing something for a friend if a friend has done something for me like if myself my friends are getting different enjoyment from each other in different ways being there for each other I'd kind of always make a note of it with her I'm hoping subconsciously that she she recognizes that I have a lot of good friends and that having good friends in life is a real gift and that if you can have good friends who you treat really well and they treat you really well like it is one of the best things that you can have like in terms of for your for your whole across your whole life, you know. So, yeah, but I would like, I obviously have like lots of, like, you know, now she, because she's near nine now, it definitely stops. So if you haven't possibly had another child or added to your family by the time you're nine, by the time your child is nine, like people don't tend to kind of assume that you're going to. So that bit of that is over. There would have been a time when she was obviously two, three, four, five that you would have got comments like, oh, well, you'd want to give her a brother, or sister and all of that kind of thing. That's kind of more personally hard. And to be really honest, like she would love a younger sibling, like she would absolutely love one. So like that is hard at times because, you know, she would say, You know, if I'm doing something and she wants me to play something with her, like I kind of always try to find the time to play with her. But while we were homeschooling and she was at home, it just wasn't always possible. And like she definitely would have said to me a few times, like if I had a little sister, you know, I wouldn't need you to do this with me or whatever. So like there are times where I'm like, you know, that's really hard, but it is just the way it is. So I just say I say that to her. I'm like, look, I know you'd love that, but that's not you know, the way it is, and there'll often be things that you'll wish for that might not happen. So we just make the best of the situation that we're in, you know?
0: I think you're absolutely right. I think there is a myth around only children that they have this kind of narrative that they're going to be this way or that. And If there is any risk of a kind of a, a lack of opportunity to engage in sharing and, you know, that sort of stuff, you sound like you're on top of it in terms of really hammering home the importance of that for her. But it's, it's far less indicative of where a child's, ends up than many people suspect i mean yeah it, it, things like temperament and things like your approach and your emotionality are far more have far more of a prognosis level in terms of where you end up as a, yeah. a young adult than, than where you come in the family or whether you're an only child or not
1: yeah like but, i i'm certainly conscious of it because i'm always really intrigued when i meet somebody as an adult who tells me that they didn't have siblings like I'm always like oh really <laughs> like so so subconsciously I'm looking out for well-rounded adults who didn't have siblings and I don't I'm not even aware of it sometimes but then I have been in a conversations a good few times where someone said, Oh, well, you know you know I I didn't have sibling younger siblings or whatever and I'm like really well take a seat and I'm kind of like I I'm dying to quiz them so you know there there it is it is something that I like I haven't I haven't fully accepted that that's the case but I guess I in. I'm I'm in a really lucky situation because my sister who's two years older than me lives right beside me and she luckily and thankfully has three children so one of them is in Faith's class and the other girl is only 18 months older and then she's got a little boy so in a way you know uh, Faith has never really had to spend like we, we do everything together so she's always kind of had those people like steps of stairs that and you have to deal with all the different personalities and everything and you know she's kind of navigated that very well so that's been brilliant for her and that makes me feel a little bit more at ease about the whole thing. But um and I know when she's older I can have a more rounded conversation with her about why that didn't happen. And, and I guess she'll probably if there is a bit of her that still doesn't accept it or wishes it was different, I think she'll probably have a better view of it when you know I can explain it a bit better when she's 13 or 14, you know. So yeah.
0: Well rest assured there are plenty well rounded adults who were only children and I can tell you that for a fact. But uh, and, and I think as I say, with that set up with the cousins so nearby, I mean that's yeah, it that seems almost idyllic. It's like yeah, siblings no, it are so lucky. Yeah, we're um, really,
1: really lucky.
0: So Susan and and the asking for a parent podcast, we usually ask people to bring kind of three questions or not even questions, or challenges, but things that they they sometimes think about in terms of parenting and the role of parenting, and it's. Again, something relatable that listeners can maybe experience with as well, so what would be the things that would cross your mind when you're thinking about the parenting task or role or responsibility?
1: Well, I guess that that thing of resilience that we've just been talking about is a real thing for me because I suppose this year we've all had learned some lessons about being resilient and, you know, being able to do things that we thought we'd never be able to do and digging deep at times where, you know, you wouldn't have thought that you had it in you. So I think resilience has always been a bit of a buzzword I know around children, but for me, it's always been the thing that I would like to give her as a gift, like, you know, I would like to make sure that by the time if she has to deal with her own global pandemic when she's in her thirties or if she's to deal whatever it might might be in her twenties or teenage years, I would love to think that I had helped her somehow to build a resilience kind of, or use a resilience muscle, because I definitely think it's something that if you're not flexing it, like, you know, you're, if you're not using it, it's kind of hard then when you really need it. Like, so I would like her to be resilient, kind of, you know, nine times out of 10. And then, you know, on that day when something really goes wrong on her, that it won't be such a jump for her to be able to find those tools to deal with it. And I guess it came into my head because, you know, there was one day about a week ago where we were coming home from school and she got out of the back of the car and went to walk for the door. And I said, Faith, you've left your school bag in in the back of the car. And she kind of looked at me and she was like, you and daddy are just so different. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, Daddy would be saying to me, let me take your bag. Give me that bag. Let me carry that for you. You know, and she started imitating my husband who would be like that with her. And I know it's only a really small thing and they're only small for so long. But in a way, I want her to start having little skills that she will start to need. So like whether it is making her own bed in the morning, picking clothes up off the floor, being responsible for your own school bag and not just coming home. Oh, I think I left my coat in school, like all those little things. I think they're they're indicative of bigger things, like when she gets older. So like I would often have to say to my husband, like, you know, like let her do a little bit more for herself because like she is nine now. So like it's only two or three years where she'll be forced to do a little bit more for herself. And I don't want her to feel like the sky has fallen in because there isn't someone to carry her school bag, you know, out of secondary school for her. Like, so that is kind of what I mean by resilience because I think for most of us parents, your instinct is to do as much for them as you can because you're mad about them and they're only small for so long. So you kind of rush to, to, to fix everything and to do everything. And then you kind of sometimes have to take a step back and say, this isn't serving them well, you know?
0: Absolutely. And I think the two things you're describing there are similar, but a little bit different. One is independence and one mm. is resilience. And okay, yes. they come hand in hand, but they're a little bit different. The resilience is your ability to to bounce back from adversity from the point of view of seeing something proportionately with and reacting in a way that's, that it deserves so it does involve kind of having a good idea of priorities and what's important and not sweating the small stuff that's what makes us resilient independence is again that kind of self-organization piece and taking on roles akin to where your development is which is a little bit different but would each would help each other if that makes sense so the more independent you are the more resilient you more more than likely will be so the key here, Susan, is the concept of surmountable stress and that's what children need. Children need surmountable stress. So the idea that if, if you have to work at something to, to work it out, the sense of accomplishment that comes with working it out yourself is what children need to boost their self-worth, self-belief and self-value. And the self-worth, self-belief and self-value are cornerstones to resilience, because what will make you respond differently to somebody's to something happening in your life is how you view yourself. So uh, to give an example, if there's two girls and they're at their lockers and they're 13 years of age, and one is Mary and one is Anne. And let's say their friend Sophie walks past and Mary says, hi, Sophie. And Sophie ignores her. And Anne says, hi, Sophie. And Sophie ignores her. Let's say Mary's kind of anxious and she's really stressed. Why does Sophie not like me? Why is she not talking to me? And she spends the next seven hours pondering what she did wrong and why? What's this happened? And the, the second girl, on the other hand, says kind of screw you, Sophie, and gets mm. on with her day. The difference between those two children or young people is a sense of themselves the second kid knows i did nothing wrong here i know who i am and so that's that's where resilience comes into it is about the relationship with yourself so your ability like if, if something goes wrong for me in a therapy session I sometimes if somebody said you're a rubbish therapist and slammed the door and left I would say, I'm not going to retire on the basis of this hour, but I go down and try and reassure myself that I'm doing my best and I've helped people in the past and I hopefully helped more people than I've hindered. And usually what I used to do is actually look through thank you cards and re- reimburse my own belief in my own ability and say, right, that wasn't the greatest hour of my life, but I will get that back. And those are resilience things. They're about seeing things proportionately, but you have to, experience surmountable stress to develop those skills does that make sense so it does
1: make sense so how do I do that with her now then if you know like if I want her to be like Anne in that situation who's able to say like you know screw you Sophie like I know I'm happy in myself I know it's nothing I did like how do as at, at eight or nine how do you kind of start to do, start to get her to get there if you know what I,
0: mean? I, I think for the first off and this is one of the things that I've been noticing culturally is a problem we're very much focused on external variables. So how good are you at things? Are you a good singer, dancer, camogie player, blah, blah, blah. And these things become the focus, and they make children very self-confident. So they're good performers at doing those things. But we spend way less time looking at the internal variables. So you're kind, you're loyal, you're strong, you're able to read those kind of more meaningful things that there's no medals and prizes for. It is really about the child having a good sense of their own values as a loyal, meaningful, important person, and believing that. And less in not less in the area of confidence, but confidence doesn't help you be more resilient. I've seen okay. lots of confident kids who are head of the hockey team, A students, blah, 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 but they're sitting in front of me, contemplating their own existence. And so, yeah. And then
1: obviously, if you're a winner all the time, like you know, if you if you kind of grow up, I guess it makes sense that if you're constantly top of your class and top of your game with all the sport and then when the shit hits the fan someday which it will for everybody like you're not used to it i guess and it comes as a big surprise and you might find it hard to you know be resilient in that moment like.
0: and that and that's where the helicopter parent and the snowplow parent becomes a problem because if you always remove adversity from your child that they never have anything to surmount then they don't develop the skills of it so an example would be my daughter came back to me recently and said oh I, someone borrowed a marker of mine but she won't give it back and my instinct was right i'll go into the teacher oh, yeah. tomorrow and okay. i'll get your i'll get yeah and i thought actually you're eight now maybe you need to negotiate this yourself so i gave her a strategy to try and manage it and see and day one didn't work day two but she got it back on day three but the me biting my tongue from saying i'm just going to go in and get that for you yes was it was causing her stress but not anything that she couldn't manage she wasn't staying up at night and so it's about allowing the child stepping back and allowing the child to do that and so so when her dad is coming out of the car it's fine that he brings her her bag when she's in junior infants and senior infants but maybe teaching her to remind herself of her own bag and her own need to do that would be encouraging her to build that skill do you know what i mean yes. From the point of yeah,
1: yeah, that. yeah.
0: But, but that the surmountable stress is something that it's the skill of the parenting role here is pacing that so you want a child like say for example the pandemic issue the skill in the pandemic issue is having your child to be vigilant around coughing social distance and sanitizing their hands but you don't want them up all night worrying about the death toll numbers so you have to give them a level of exposure that allows them to develop a skill set but not overwhelm them okay and the skill is being able to do that and oftentimes We get that wrong. So we go, okay, I overwhelmed her there. That was too much. I gave her. I need to pull that back, or else maybe I can push this a little bit further. And it is trial and error, and we don't get it right all the time. But we have to kind of see how a child manages something first and allow them to try and fail and then get them to fail better or get them to, you know, to encourage, but rather than jumping in. And it's the jumping in, and it comes back to this very simple kind of formula for happiness, which is expectation minus reality equals happiness and largely we are in charge of our children's expectations of both themselves and other people mm. and the more we keep that in check with reality the gap is going to be far less whereas if, if you're saying fate's idea her expectation is that her dad will bring her school bag into her when she's in third year then she's going to be unhappy about it <laughs> but it doesn't happen and so that's the capacity so what you're trying to do is manage the expectations, and parenting is about stepping back And I said this in the the podcast before, the role, it's a really unusual role because your goal, Susan, is to become redundant. Mm. When you're no longer needed, you've done your job right. Yes. And so it is about stepping back. It's a bit like being a therapist or being a nurse. You know, when someone is able to do it for themselves, you do your job well.
1: Yeah. And, And I think like, you know, potentially like I do like the challenge, it is a little bit more challenging again with one child at home because know if there was two or three they would all have to find their you know like you couldn't expect your bag to be carried all the time or you know a drink to be on the table when you wanted it last the water like you would kind of just someone would be fighting a fire in a corner and you'd get up and do your own things because that's what naturally happens in a family when other siblings come along so i suppose like my biggest fear would be that some of the things that we kind of do for faith i would never want her to replace, like, for her to basically expect that from her peers or her friends, so that you know that that should be getting out of a car someday and should be like to her friend, Did you not get my back? <laughs> I'm like, That's not going to make for a good friendship. Like, so that is where I go in my worst moments. I'm like we really need to teach like this girl really is going to need her friends like you know I'm conscious like that and it's a real natural thing but like I am conscious that someday you know we will be old and like Faith won't have brothers and sisters to you know be with so like I'm I'm hoping she has just good friendships like and that's the other thing I wanted to talk about because I think there is a way of encouraging that and that can be a difficult thing to navigate sometimes as well you know.
0: Uh, The friendship issue has gotten way more complex than it was when you or I were in school, and the playground politics are phenomenally more complex than they were before. So the idea of membership to groups and territorialism and best friends and all that sort of stuff, it it is almost impossible to keep ahead of that. And what I would say to you is, especially for, for Faith, what I would notice is that children are getting older younger. So issues that we would have seen in second year of secondary school, we now see in fifth and sixth class in primary school. And that's issues around body image, issues around bullying, issues around, you know, entry into puberty and sexuality, all all those sorts of things. So it is something we have to be on top of. And I'm I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's an important thing for us not to get over involved in. we can't be negotiating our children's friendships for them. And maybe through the the play date phenomena of the last few years, we have disabled children from making their own connections. And we've maybe disabled them a little bit socially from that point of view, but they have to be considerably more socially savvy than they would have done before. And, And again, what I'd say to you is teaching your child to be as able to read those situations as best as possible. There's a few quick wins you can do. And I would always say, first of all, avoid friendships in threes because they yeah. always cause ructions, right? Yeah. Because if you're in a three part relationship, there'll always be a case where you say, you can only have one friend on sleepover. So one has to be left out. And it'll all, it will all—it might even alternate between the three, but it always causes ructions. So if you can have twos or fours, that's the way to go. And I would always kind of avoid that. The territorialism is can be, I mean, it's very useful in terms of a in the sense of safety. You're my best friend and I'm yours. But where there's a dominant and passive relationship, it's ne- never good for either. Do you know what I mean? Where okay, one yeah. is kind of calling the shots and the other's following, because it encourages a kind of sense of bossiness and and submissiveness. And your know, children uh, have have been in those relationships for years, but they've never like no flower ever grew in the shadow of a tree. In the sense of the the passive person doesn't get to develop that. So always being kind of mindful that those relationships are some way on an equal footing in terms of that there's they yes. they. T- dramas are always both ways and expect the drama the drama is going to happen there's no way of getting around that
1: yeah no for sure and like i think you're right like i think these things happen much earlier like i'm surprised already in third class like that i am starting to see you know like there there are definitely clicks emerging and groups emerging and i guess my approach to it is to try and you know to try and always encourage faith you know to to stop even using the two words best friend like i try and kind of nearly ban that because I would often tell her that you know, my friends in life now, like I know a lot of people do have friends from primary school, but the chances are that her lifelong friends, you know, could possibly be from secondary school or college so that not to be putting all of her eggs in one basket, like deciding that there is one girl who, you know, she can't live without kind of thing like that, to try and to to give time to everybody like that, because, you know, in six months time, then everything changes and that girl that she put all her kind of uh, emotions involved in is gone to another group. Group and then you're left and you might have maybe not treated other people well in that interim and then you're trying to make up ground you know so like I try and tell her that you know everyone is equal in her class and like you know she is she's in a mixed school but certainly now by third class like while she gets great crack out of all of the lads like her friends are girls like you Mm. know she doesn't have a very close friend who's a boy I think that's probably just it's probably the way it is for a lot of people and so I just try to encourage her to have all of the girls on an equal footing like, and that for her to give time, you know, to, to everyone not to dismiss anybody, you know, to, that she really doesn't know these girls really, really well, that like, you know, there could be someone next year, she might find she's got a real link with, you know, or a real common interest with or whatever. So, you know, I I, I but it, but again, you can't, you don't have any control over it, because they go off to school and you know sometimes you hear even very little there be other days you might hear um you know I think one of the benefits for me for not being in the office as much as I'm collecting her from school now and I definitely agree with that thing that if you don't get it in the first half an hour you're not going to get it so I used to be trying to get the low down at eight o'clock at night and sure she was having none of me whereas now I get her in the car at three o'clock and sometimes I do get a few nuggets of what went on in the pod or who said what or whatever and I, I think I'm benefiting from that and it's probably a good year for it to happen because I think I feel like third class is you know it's the senior end of the school she considers herself you know she kind of has this I'm the senior part of the school now so she's starting to take on a lot of that responsibility so I kind of want her to do that with the values that I'd like her to have so I'm kind of happy that I'm at home like in the afternoons.
0: Yeah, and I think the friendship resilience is largely done in the playground as opposed to at home. But but what's lovely about that is that she's open enough to have those conversations with you. And again, there might not be news every day, and that doesn't mean that there has to be. And it's not about you being overly involved in it, but it is really reassuring to know that she has that route if there are difficulties that she would come to. The thing I'd say about, and I completely agree with everything you're saying, but that's an adult ideology around, you know, when you're older, your friends will be in college, be in college. <laughs> yeah. and I always say children want to be popular children, they don't want to be popular adults. So from yeah. the point of view of that's that's just falling on deaf ears. I can tell you that. From the start. Yes,
1: like yeah, like in the same way she thinks I'm one hundred, you know, like as in the idea of being an adult and having an adult friend, She's like, oh my god, like life goes as far as sixth class and then it stops you know like as in everything revolves around primary school you know
0: so, so you might have problems convincing her of that but I, I think from the point of view of ex- encouraging this sense of and i would uh, this lovely exercise you can do is uh, called the solar system of support right so you put yourself as the sun in the middle of the solar system and you draw these rings around it and you talk about who's on the closest rings, so a mom dad maybe a cousin or something and then who's on the next ring and the next ring and the idea is that you have lots of friends that have different purposes that you know we yeah. have friends who I enjoy with and I go to a match with and I have a crack with and everything else but they're not maybe the people who I'd ring if I ran out of petrol at three in the morning do you know what I mean yeah. they're different purposes and that it's actually okay to have, have friendships that have that serve different purposes for us so there might be fun friends safe friends good friends close friends and that it's not just about territory it's about what friendships offer us and beginning that conversation allows you to kind of dilute the intensity of the best friend territorial is an issue if that makes sense and it's just a little bit more relatable to her about where she's at now in her life as opposed to in the future because nine-year-olds just are not good forward thinkers from yes. the point of, view of that and and so making it relatable to where she is now but again i think the resilience and the self-worth issue is really important in the friendship thing as well what, what what people tend to fall into a cycle of is if a child, if she gets excluded from a group for no reason other than she's not the flavor of that day, the child will then think, is this something to do with me? And they will then go into the next group and they go into the next group saying, look, I'm just happy to be here. I don't have any opinions. I don't have any views. I just want to be here. Right. And naturally, the group will take advantage of that and treat her badly. And she may well be kind of disposed of from a friendship yes. point of view from that as well the counterintuitive thing is when you go into a friendship you have to own your own value even and especially when you're feeling at your lowest you know you you have to go in saying you're lucky to have me i'm really kind i'm really good i'm really funny i mean and it's so counterintuitive but it is the only way that you can break that cycle of and i've seen this so many times where children have gotten into that it must be something to do with me and you know teenage uh, girls and in teenage years they just have very it's very arbitrary exclusion there might be no reason for it other than and we've been best friends for two years and all of a sudden she's not talking to me anymore and, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff so it does come back to her believing in her own value and i think if you're investing in her friendship resilience it's still back to that stuff
1: yeah and i guess like the the, the reason it's so hard is that's such a thin line between teaching a child that there's consequences to you know their actions and then at the same time you're telling them that like you know if somebody drops them from a friend group it's really you know it isn't they shouldn't look you know at themselves and go wonder what they did so you know it's it's almost like uh, you know it's just very hard to because I would often say to faith like you know I would often try to tell her that, like, if you do something, there are consequences to doing something. So whether it is that you're unkind to somebody, there may be a consequence to that or, you know, if you don't treat someone very well or whatever it might be. Um, and then at the same time, like you say, it can be so arbitrary or there could be no reason why sometimes might someone might get shoved out of, of these groups when they start to happen um, at the end of primary school or whatever. But you know and then to be kind of central. well it's nothing you did you know so it's kind of, mm. it's almost like two different things i can see that that's a bit of a challenge like it's you know
0: a huge, it's a huge challenge it's a huge challenge for the young person who is the victim of that exclusion mm. because there's no reason for it and the only reason they can come up with is themselves do you know i mean that that's, mm. that becomes the natural assumption and in order to protect her from not coming to that conclusion it is about setting in that value system and the, the other question is how do i make my child value themselves without being arrogant or you know the the other the other side of it and it's about resilience is about having an authentic relationship with yourself that reflects authenticity and accuracy so it's not about being special and special at everything because by definition we can't all be special yeah but it is about knowing what the values are and making them more than just medals prizes you know and and cosmetic things but more about your own sense of self and, and and which which brings me to the next issue which is kind of when we are becoming such a performative society and this uh, i think you might have had a question around screens the, the, yes the, yeah the migration onto that and it follows on from this point what's called the what i would call the tinderization of society means that we have to put our best foot forward we have to and we have to have it in a snapshot of profile picture
1: funny yes. line
0: humorous thing and it means that our interactions with the world are very Front of house, there's swipe left or swipe right, what, whether you, what you present yourself as, so it encourages us to become more and more performative, but it becomes we become less and less internal, looking yes. at ourselves as, in terms of our own value. We we look at life, how can I sell myself better, rather than how can I promote what's important to me.
1: Okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense.
0: And the real issue what we've got to watch out for teenagers is that that t- performance society doesn't determine value and. Faith is nine now and she'll be getting into the screen thing soon enough, I'd imagine. And and it it will, it, it, currency will be, you know, this is the important stuff. It's followers, it's friends, it's filters, it's the look, yeah. it's the thing. And you have got to put the basis of the value system in before she goes online.
1: Okay, that, yeah. That, there,
0: that there's a counter culture within her own value system that says, yeah, that's maybe some of it, but there's other values here as well that aren't, Instagramable, are they not? You know, they're yes. not going to get me likes. They're not going to get me followers, but they're still really important.
1: Yeah, and we had an interesting experience with that during lockdown when she watched something to do with a dog or a cat. I can't really remember, but she watched it on YouTube. And like on YouTube, um, you know, one video can go to another video and like a few minutes later, you're in some down some dark hole. But she saw something that really upset her. I didn't even see what it was, but it was a dog. I think that was injured or had been left on the side of the road or something like that and that day that night she asked myself and Stephen would we um take like we have a smart TV so if you want to go into YouTube on the TV you can like I don't even really know how to do it but it's there and she asked us would we take YouTube off our TV because she never ever wanted to go on YouTube again because that video upset her so much and about like two months after that she said to me one day um, like bear in mind, this was one video and one viewing of YouTube. But she said to me one day, I'm so glad I don't watch YouTube anymore because my life is so much better now. Like she had watched YouTube once and she saw that video, but it really stuck with her. Like it really stuck with her. So I kind of used that as an opening then. And that day I said to her. You know, you know that often children will get a phone maybe when they go to secondary school. That's a good lesson that like you might like having a phone, but someday you might see something on that phone that then upsets you for the day. And then she said to me, well, would you be okay if I didn't get a phone until I was 16? (laughs) And I said, I was like, yeah, do you want to write, do you want (laughs) to sign this piece of paper here, Faith? It's a contract. (laughs) Um, So like I know that will change. But my point being is that like she very much had a moment of realization where she it dawned on her that sometimes you can see something and it can really then bother you for so long that maybe you would be better off not seeing it in the first place you know and I then said you know like because when you have your phone you know like you might put a picture somewhere and someone might say something really mean about it and you might think about that then for the day and she she was like yeah I really don't want a phone I have one when I'm 16 like so it has dawned on her that that can happen you know so I guess she's a bit aware of it
0: and that's a great start, you know, yeah. rather than the, the kid who's who's dying for the phone from their communion. And, and yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, other yeah. Side. Yeah. I would say that, you know, again, in terms of the, the template of the influence from outside is phenomenal when it gets to teenage years. But don't underestimate your own value as parents. It's still, we still hold the kind of major, uh, uh, the trump card. I hate okay. using the term anymore, but you know, in terms of the, yeah. our influence, we, we, we still... How the com- culture of home and value are really important, and even though the we're not ne- we're not being taken over by tablets, you know the the issue is you still have that voice, but it does mean that the 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 reflection on how you engage with technology and relationship with technology would be important from the point yeah. of view. If you're saying come off your your Xbox while I'm on my phone all the time, it's like saying you know you have a, a bowl of porridge, I'll have a packet of crisps. We have it yeah. has to be consistent in that way. But I would say. Having a technology device is not a right, it's a responsibility. So the idea is that you earn the responsibility by showing that you're able for it. And I I would say you gauge the the level which you can give your child a device based on their cop-on level. A child with a lot of cop-on will be able to manage the online world a lot better than those who are vulnerable. And all the research that I've looked into and done, Susan would suggest that the more you are kind of dependent on the feedback, the more vulnerable you are to that mm. feedback. And so the idea is that that's about sense of self, that's not about content. And again, and all my advice to you seems to be very similar, but it is about investing in her own value system. Um, and there's a, there's a, I'll finish on this. And there's a, an interesting kind of story where this philosophy lecturer comes in and he goes to the class and he has a jar and he fills it full of rocks. And he says to them, is it full? And they said, yeah. And then he gets pebbles and sprinkles it in between. He says, now is it full? And they said, yeah. And then he gets sand and sprinkles it in between the rocks and pebbles He says, now is it full? And they said, yeah. And he said, that represents a fulfilled and meaningful life. The rocks are the really important things like your family, your friends, your health and your intimate friendships. The pebbles are the what class you, you're in, what school you do, how you get in your marks, your results, the job you have. And the sand is the cosmetic rubbish that's really not that important. But in order to feel, feel fulfilled, you must know what is your rock, what is your pebble and what is sand. Mm -hmm. And for a girl who's entering into the world where, where faith is, she's going to be sold a lot of sand and it's going to be promoted as the most important thing. If she fills her life up with sand, she won't have room for rocks and pebbles. And your role is to show her this is a rock, this is pebble, this is sand. And if she can prioritize those proportionately, that's resilience. Do you know what i mean that's what yeah,
1: it is that's incredible that's such a good lesson like that really is like 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 i i might do that with her like <laughs> as in like it's really though you can see it it makes perfect sense you know mm. um and it is definitely something because you know i think it is really important at a certain age you know at parent teacher meetings and stuff like teachers would say to me you know when she was younger faith uh responds really well to positive what is the word? Is it affirmation or mm, positive? Mm, mm, yeah. And, <clears throat> and even then, like, you know, so I, I would have been like, okay, that's great. But I know that that can't be like a skill for, like, for life as you go on. You can't always only be happy when people are telling you, like, you can't always only be happy based on the feedback that you get, you know? So I remember hearing that, like when she was in kind of uh, senior infants, I think. And I remember saying to myself, you know, I want her to be, uh, like a little bit less that way, even next year, the following year. And I'm kind of glad now as she's gotten to eight or nine, like she doesn't need somebody to, she, she'll be good. Even if somebody isn't constantly saying to her, it's great that you're good. Like I didn't want her to always get a star or a whatever they're given out in school, because then you feel, kind of feel they're only following it to get the, the reward. Whereas you kind of want them to do it for themselves as opposed to just for the, the compliment or, and that kind of follows through, I think for everything for an online life, because if you're doing things online only to be received well by people or for likes and shares, then you can see how that's going to be a problem for someone who's 14, who it won't mm. always go the way they want it to go, you know?
0: Absolutely. And it's about rewarding efforts, not outcome. Mm. You know, I think that's, that's a real, that's a kind of a message for all of us really, in that yeah. sort of sense. Yeah. Of. But I mean, in terms of everything that you've talked about, I think you you're doing a fabulous job in terms of trying to prepare her for what is a tricky period. I mean, she's nine, yeah. she's, she's hitting the teenager time now. So uh, yeah, just let her carry her own bag a little bit more and get her, get those rocks, pebbles and sands sorted. But, awesome. but and it, that is an interesting conversation to have with her because then you can keep coming back to it and say, you know, faith, is this a pebble or a sand or rock? Yes. And, and it'll just help you not sweat the small stuff. yeah absolutely
1: Um, yeah no that's really good advice that's really really good advice
0: listen we've run out of time but susan kill thank you ever so much for giving your time to the the asking for a parent podcast it's been a fabulous chat i really enjoyed it and best of luck with the busy few months ahead with the book and everything else we'll wish you well and look forward to reading it thanks so much for having me thank you so much all the best
1: thanks coleman that's great thank you
0: And that was a lovely Susan Kill there talking to us about her experiences of being a parent. And, you know, I think she brought up some really interesting issues around relationships with an only child and trying to foster independence. And again, those differences around, you know, trying to create resilience and friendships and then the worries about potentially engaging in social media and technology. So there were really some great conversations there. And I hope you got something from it because I surely enjoyed and always do enjoy my conversations with Susan. Our next episode will be available uh, this Sunday. And that's the listeners questions episode with my friend from uh, big school, Dr. Mally Klein, who'll be joining me to record our listeners questions episodes. And then our final episode of our parenting interview will be with Shane Smith, in the following week who is a dad primary school teacher and heavily involved in children's sport, and that's a brilliant episode so don't miss that uh, and then our final listeners questions episode will be uh, we'll have a surprise guest on for that and that promises to be a great one as well so as we gear up for Christmas I hope you're doing well the stress levels are in check and that everything is going according to plan and if it's not I hope you're managing it well and we'll listen we'll talk to you next time but until then Stay safe, take care, and bye for now.